Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. This speech Judah excels. There's a wisdom in what Judah says here that we don't see this in any other in the Old Testament. There's a boldness here. He doesn't give up. It comes across with an eloquence which is natural. It's a natural eloquence. There's a tenderness here that he's going to bring in that we haven't seen before. There's a passion in Judah's words here. And what, what really characterizes Judah's talk here is this the sweetness of this simplicity. He's like a child. He's so transparent. Judah, you could just see right through him. He, you just get the impression he's holding nothing back from plain view. I mean, he's just turning himself inside out, nothing to hide. And as a result, what he says here, his arguments are moving and they're effective as he's making intercession for his brothers. And you can just imagine the brothers are just saying, go, Judah, go. <laughs> You're doing a great job, you know. So as we see Judah here pleading, which is what he's doing, this is what intercession looks like. This is a picture of intercession. We see Judah here making intercession, and he's so effective for his brothers. And we can see the Lord Jesus pleading and making intercession for us to God the Father, as it says in Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And then it says in, in uh, at the last part of 53rd chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53.12, God says, He hath poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors, bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's his arguing ability. That's his pleading ability. That's what we're seeing here in Judah. In Hebrews 9.24, it says, Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. For us. That's intercession says in Romans 8.34, Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? Christ died. Yea, rather, is risen again, is even at the right hand of God. Who is he who, who also maketh intercession for us? So when you read this speech here that Judy gives, it's just amazing that we have all these details. We got to remember here, the writer is Moses. What happened here? happened hundreds and hundreds of years before, 400 years before, at least. And what's so amazing, I mean, think about that. That's like almost twice the age of our country. We're writing about something that happened, I don't know what happened 400 years ago. It was a long time ago. 
But what's so amazing here is how God gave Moses such an understanding of what happened on this day with all these details that we can just see Moses writing this all down from the mouth of God. And Judah, he's going to blend so skillfully a plea for Benjamin, and then he's going to bring in the plea for Jacob, his father, and this is really some ability. Now, it shows us as the brothers are like, yes, Judah, speak for us. None of us are going to speak. It shows us one word the brothers had in Judah. It's the word confidence. They had, as they saw Judah do this, and the more he spoke, the more they had confidence in Judah. And that's what faith is. Faith is confidence. They had confidence in Judah. They had faith in Judah. And seeing the brothers just sit back as Judah speaks and seeing this confidence that they had in Judah, it shows us what faith, what our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith for us is to be like the brothers, sit back and let our Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, represent us and intercede for us. And we could imagine that how after hearing what Judah said in these last verses, how the brothers must have praised Judah and said, well, hooray, what a lawyer. He is great. Those closing arguments were fabulous. Yeah. Praise. They praised Judah. The brethren praised Judah. That, that is the reason why Jacob on his deathbed said about Judah in Genesis 49.8, Genesis 49.8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. It's you, Judah. It's you whom your brothers are going to praise. And they certainly were praising Judah on this day when he spoke to the governor and he pleaded for their mercy. So this is the point of praise that we thank the Lord Jesus for. It's his ability. It's his wisdom. It's his boldness. It's his tenderness. It's his simplicity to make intercession for us. We praise the Lord Jesus just as the brothers praised Judah for making this effective intercession for them. And what's interesting is that uh, Judah was really not their leader and their spokesman on their first trip to Egypt. That wasn't Judah. Judah didn't step forward. He only started to do this when he was with Jacob, but especially here on the second trip. That's the reason why Stephen made such an emphasis between the first and the second trip to Egypt when Stephen said in Acts 7.13, Acts 7.13, and at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren and Joseph's kindred were made known unto Pharaoh. Everything changes on the second time. The second time, Judah takes this leadership and spokesman role for the brothers. But at the first visit to Egypt, Judah didn't have this leadership and spokesman role. And after the Lord Jesus came the first time to earth, the Jewish people did not welcome him. They did not accept him to have the leadership role over them. Quite the contrary. We're living in that time right now when, unfortunately, the Sanhedrin has just made a decision just a few days ago that Jewish Christians, Messianic Jews there, they cannot have a marriage ceremony in Israel. Every marriage ceremony in Israel has to be done by the rabbinate. Every marriage is not recognized in Israel unless it's done by the rabbinate. And the Sanhedrin, a few days ago, made the decision that Messianic believers cannot be married. Now you say, so what? Well, it is a big deal because it's the marriage certificate that gives them the rights for the, 
for tax benefits and for social benefits and so forth from being married. So if you can't get married by them, that could create a big problem. So that means that they have to leave Israel, get married some other place, then come in and apply to the rabbinate for their foreign marriage to become valid. And you think that's going to go easy for them? <laughs> it's not. It's going to be years if they even get it. So that's a big, big, big issue. But anyway, uh, it, all this to say is that from his first visit, the Lord Jesus is certainly not recognized as Judah in the second visit as their leader and as their spokesman. Okay, but soon, very soon, unfortunately, we're probably going to see all nations unite in battle against Israel. Then they're going to change. Then there's going to be this cry. Where is he? Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Then the Lord Jesus is going to return to earth the second time. He's going to fight against the enemies of Israel. Then the Jewish people are going to just sit back like the brothers and say, he's our leader. He's our spokesman. We welcome him. He's our king. We accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our leader. And that's what we see happening here as Judah emerges as this in the second visit. And now the brothers are happy with that. Now, when Judah says in verse 16, what shall we say unto my Lord? Judah is now throwing himself on the mercy of Joseph. He doesn't argue. He's not trying to justify himself. And he goes on to say, what shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves in verse 16? Now, these are three separate questions he's asking. The first question is, what shall we say? He's saying, there's no content. (laughs) There is nothing we can say. There is no content to our arguments to clear ourselves. And so he said, and then he goes on and he says, what shall we speak? And he says, even if we had something, there's no way for us to even say it. That we might have said. So he's just throwing up his hands. Judah is throwing up his hands. And he's saying in verse 16, how should we clear ourselves? How should we clear ourselves? See, with that statement, Judah is making the ultimate confession that there is no way for them to clear themselves. That's what it looks like when a person comes to the end of himself. He has nothing to claim to be cleared from his sin. And this is the point that God is waiting for, for every person to come to. This is what contrition looks like. And about contrition, God says in Psalm 51, 17, Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. This is Judah. This is the brothers. They're broken. They've fallen on the ground. And they said, we can't clear ourselves. Isaiah 66, 1, Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you're going to build to me? Where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand hath made, and all these things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. They were trembling at Joseph's word at that point. Only when a person is completely broken before the Lord, as we see Judah and the brothers were completely broken before Joseph, only then will God look to that person. Only when a person said, I have nothing to offer God, I'm not even going to try, I can't clear myself from my sins, and my only argument is for the grace and mercy of God, then God will hear. Just like the song says, the Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand I bring, Simply to thy cross I cling. Such a graphic illustration. Because if you got anything in your hand that you're clinging to, like, you know, a copy of your CV or something, 
then your hand's occupied. You can't, you can't cling. So it's only when there's nothing in the hand can the cross, you can cling to the cross. Anybody can cling to the cross. So Judas says, how should we clear ourselves? He's saying that he's got nothing in his hand and he's clinging to the mercy of Joseph. Now, in the past, the guilt the brothers had over what they did to Joseph put their lives on a track, as we saw, of continual lying. I mean, they lied. They had so many lies. They had lies like a bag of M&Ms. You need one? We'll pull one out for you. They just, they lied, and they were constantly clearing themselves through their lying. And they thought for 22 years that they had done a pretty good job of it. They thought, we're not bad at this. But now, it's all changed. Judas come to the end of himself, and he asked these questions. What? What? How? Those are the questions. The first question, what? What shall we say? Again, refer, there's no content. There's nothing we can say. His second question, what? What shall we speak? That's actually different from his first question. See, the word in the Hebrew, the word speak means to arrange. It means to arrange. So in other words, if Judah even knew what to say, he says, I have no idea how to arrange it, how to put it together in a persuasive manner. He had no reasonings. He had no convincing logic that he could come up with. And so Judah now responds in this staccato, stuttering manner, like someone who can't even speak, like someone who's stammering, stuttering. What, what, how? All confessing that he has no content, how to clear himself. He doesn't have a style or an arrangement for, for even if he did to clear himself. He doesn't have an ability to say anything to clear themselves. He didn't even have a strategy. This is a crystal clear picture of self-bankruptcy. This is what self-bankruptcy looks like. Judah has just looked at his personal gas gauge and seen it's on empty, empty, okay? And he's telling the governor, I just ran out of gas. I just ran out of gas. Very unusual for a Jewish person to say that. He doesn't have anything to say, but anyway. But Judah here has really laid it on the line. And he's saying, we're exhausted of ourselves. He's saying, we ran out of our own resources. And with this confession of this inner depravity in Judah, he's just like Paul, who Paul has said in Romans 7.18, Romans 7.18, for I know that in me, that it is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. To will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Romans 7.24, 7.24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And this is the point where every person has to come in order to be saved from their sins, is to have a future with God. And what's so remarkable about what Judah has said here is just to think who said this. It's Judah, the man of eloquence, the man of great persuasive ability, the man who swayed his brothers to sell Joseph and not kill him, the man who persuaded Jacob to give up his prized Benjamin. This is a man who's now saying that he's at a loss of words. He's at a loss for, uh, for how to clear himself. And this is the same point that Jacob, their father, came to in Genesis 32. When he came to the end of his resources and he was left there with a hip out of joint, pitifully clinging to God, saying, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the fire had to get pretty hot on Jacob before he came to that personal bankruptcy. And Joseph has made the fire pretty hot on his brothers for them to come to this point of personal bankruptcy. But these brothers, they were pretty hard-hearted. And, you know, they wouldn't listen to Joseph's cries for mercy from the pit. They just sat down to eat bread. 
And then later they took the coins of silver that they cashed in for Joseph, and then they walked away hearing the rattle of the coins in their pockets when they left. It's all changed now. It's all changed now. And the question is, why? Why has this all changed? Why has Judah come to this place? Why is Judah at such a loss of words and style and persuasion now? Why is the master lawyer at a loss for words to show they are innocent? And he answered all, all those questions in his next statement in verse 16 when he said, the problem is God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. So he's saying that it's all changed now because now it's not just a problem with the governor that we have to convince. It's not just a problem with the father that we have to deceive. Now it's a problem with God, and we can't convince God we're innocent, and we can't deceive God. And just like it is with all men. You know, Psalm 63.11 says, Psalm 63.11, the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. They were speaking lies. Romans 3.19 says, we know that what things soever the law saith this is to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. That's what makes it so terrifying to come at a point in life and not be saved by the mercy of God, not be saved, and ended up standing before God, as it says in Hebrews 10.31, 10.31, Hebrews 10.31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so the brothers now, their lives have just been on a constant move to hide the sin, hide the sin, what they did against Joseph, just hide it. And they were constantly doing that. And now they've come to realize that they were so short-sighted. They were so short-sighted because there was another person that was involved, and that was God, and that was a problem. So for 22 years, the brothers could say, our father has not found out the iniquity of thy servants. And now they realize by ignoring God, they have to now say, God has found it out. So speaking for the brothers, Judah does not go into any details with the governor. That's not a good idea of what exactly that was, the iniquity that God found out, although he knew. But because for all they knew, the governor was not involved with the iniquity of what they did to Joseph, but they didn't know they were talking to Joseph. So from Joseph's perspective, the fact that they were willing now to confess to a total stranger, an Egyptian, that they had iniquity that God had found out and was punishing for, that was enough for Joseph to now see that they've confessed their sin openly before him and before God. And Judah has realized that he's dealing with God, and God's got him. And now he's trying to figure out, what can I say to God? And he can say nothing. But Judah has just abandoned all this, you know. He's not saying, oh, well, now wait just a minute. Let me just do a little investigation here. Benjamin, don't lie to me. Did you take that cup? You know, or he's not saying to the steward, Mr. Steward, did you put that cup in a Benjamin sack like you put the money there? He's not saying, okay, boys, when was the last time any of you saw the cup? Let's try to figure it out. Benjamin, when was the last time you checked your sack? Okay, now the cup got into your sack sometime between this time and this time. Now, where were we all during that time period? This is all, no, this is gone. Because he's not trying to figure out the details of how the cup got there. Instead, he's just quick to recognize this is a judgment of God. See, all those details of how the cup got into Benjamin's sack, they're all like a big curtain. There's a big curtain and all those, you can call it the curtain of life's circumstances. The curtain of life's circumstances. And what Judah's just done He's just taken hold of the curtain, and he's just pulled it back. He's pulled back the curtain of life circumstances, and what does he see? The hand of God. 
behind the curtain, and he sees that God is against them. And so after he pushes it back, he says, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. He says, God found out the iniquity of thy servants. Only one person took the cup. But now it's the iniquity of thy servants. And behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. So is Judah saying, you're right, governor. Stealing a cup is a terrible crime. The one who did that, he's the guilty one. Take him. That's not what he's doing. He's not doing that. He's not saying, Judah is saying, we're all guilty of this one iniquity. And it's not stealing the cup. So all of us have to, should become slaves here for that iniquity. And that's the significance in verse 16 of the word both. Both we and he also with whom the cup is found. See, when Judah is saying, there's two issues here. There's the cup and there's this iniquity. And he's saying God found it out. Now, when he says God, it's very interesting because it's the word Elohim in verse 16. But he doesn't say just Elohim. He doesn't say just God like our texts say it is. In the Hebrew, it's again, ha Elohim. So he's saying the God found out the iniquity of thy servants. In other words, he's saying there's only one God. His name is, we know his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's saying he's the one as it says in Hebrews 4.13, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So when Judas says, ha Elohim, or the God, we remember the last time that someone said that. And that was Joseph. Joseph said, ha Elohim, in Genesis 41.25. 41.25, ha Elohim, God, or the God, has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. That's when Joseph was witnessing to a heathen Egyptian king about the only true God. And now Judah is now saying to who he thought was a heathen Egyptian, and he's telling him there's only one true God. I mean, seeing like this, seeing Judah talk like this gives us an illustration of how you really know that a person is converted to the Lord Jesus Christ when he witnesses to the lost that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only true God. And that's what Judah's doing here. Judah's telling him then. He's, Judah's saying, in essence, Judah's saying, I got to tell you, governor, I can't stand it any longer. There's a much bigger picture involved here. The only true God has found us out. And that's why he says the word also. And you know, the one crime was a matter of stealing the cup. The other crime is this iniquity. He's saying to the governor, there are two discoveries here. The one discovery was by you, governor, finding out the crime of the stealing of the cup. But then other discovery, which is going on here, is God has found out the iniquity of, of thy servants, of us. That's why Judah said that we all need to be punished because we're all guilty. And he's saying, you know, Benjamin, yes, for taking the cup, but we for the iniquity. Can you imagine how the disguised Joseph must have felt hearing Judah say to him, we don't know what happened to our lost brother, but we're so convicted by the guilt that we have that so please take us and put us into slavery. In our next study, we're going to see how Joseph responds to, their, to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, keeping all this record so detailed for us so that we can see so many pictures of our Lord Jesus and how you graciously deal with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.